everybody, Kevin Cole here. So I was a little late <laughs> jumping on after the intro music there. Uh, unexpected points. I was typing something in the uh, comments here that if you have a Q&A, um, go ahead and fire it into the comments and I'll get to it later. Here we go. It is on there now. This is being streamed live on YouTube. If you're not on the Unexpected Points YouTube channel, please get up on that. Um, you'll find all the content here. I rarely, but sometimes will do a live stream where I don't send it out as a podcast based upon timing and things like that. For instance, I did one with Benjamin Robinson last Friday as a review of round one, but it was in the afternoon was the first time that I could get around to doing it, being that it was so close into going into day two. I figured I would just make it a YouTube only thing and not fire it out to the podcast, which is sometimes consumed a day, two days, three days later. Now, this is a little bit more, not evergreen, but green for now until I don't know how long. First week of the NFL season, if you want to still be doing draft grading at that point, draft expectations, everything else like that at that point, this will still work. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to discuss the draft, start off with a kind of like a macro perspective on the draft on what grading should be. I've been harping about this a lot on the twitter.com. If you happen to be on there, I apologize for anyone if you're seeing multiple tweets about this, but I'm kind of stuck in this weird thing with Twitter where sending things out multiple times seems to be fruitful as far as getting as many people to click and through to my articles and things like that. But it could probably also be annoying for some people who are, you know, Twitter adult brains like myself and on there too often and seeing the things too often so trying to find the right mix there not gonna be able to satisfy everyone twitter's also got this uh, substack beef still going on now where if you put a link to a substack article on there it goes through you can click on it nothing is being blocked like they were blocking any and all engagement before but it doesn't pop up with the you know, the page, uh, whatever image is associated with the page and a bigger image that you can click on. I don't know. So annoying. I know they're upset about the notes feature over at Substack. I don't think that's really going to be that big of a thing. So hopefully Elon, you know, gets gets over that one eventually, stops having whatever his, uh, his most recent, uh, you know, I was going to say hissy fit, but that doesn't sound right. But whatever his most recent dissatisfaction and striking back. And we'll, we'll get on with that going forward. But anyway, Let's get into it here with the draft. A lot of draft grading stuff is going to be coming out today. Now, I put out a free, so if you're if you're one of the freeloaders on here, um, no, I'm just kidding. I love anyone who follows freeloader or not, uh, free subscription or not. If you're anyone on there and you're you're following Unexpected Points, I have the link here on YouTube. If you want to go to that, unexpectedpoints.substack.com. I have kind of the primer for draft grading season, Okay. So this is going to go over like a rationale for how I grade the draft. And this is very, very specific. Okay. My complaints in this particular area when it comes to draft grading, but they apply to a lot of football analysis. Okay. A lot of football analysis, um, explicit or not is a prediction. Now, these graph trades are like explicitly a prediction. So I kind of hold them to even a higher standard of, are we just firing off opinions or are we actually trying to figure out what 
makes a good prediction here. But, you know, in a lot of ways, almost anything's an opinion, an opinion and a prediction. You know, we listen to NFL analysts, even when we listen to silly things like quarterback rankings, best team in the division, best team in the conference, who's going to win the Super Bowl, all that sort of stuff. All of that is really an implicit prediction or forecast. If I give you the top five quarterbacks in the NFL, that's a pretty good implicit prediction for who will perform as the top five quarterbacks next season, right? That's probably what we're doing. Maybe it's not going to align perfectly with their statistics or their team's records, but it's giving an idea of, like, we think these guys are going to continue to look like the best quarterbacks going forward. It's an implicit prediction, even if you could say it's backwards looking in a way. The only reason we care about it is because it's going forward. We're not doing some historical, you know, um, some sort of historical look back This is not like my QB GOAT series, right? Where we look back at all these different quarterbacks. It's mostly forward-looking is what we care about. Now, for player evaluation in the draft, it gets a little bit more frustrating because it's definitely forward-looking how we're looking at these prospects. But I think draft evaluators do a very good job looking at prospects within their positional bucket. I don't really have a beef with a lot of what draft evaluators do when they stay within the positional bucket because – it's intuitive. You know, you can intuitively figure out from watching how, how a player plays, watching how players play in the NFL. They're all within the same position. There are variations within position, and that's where maybe some study, some more explicit analytical study can come into play a lot more. But generally, it's intuitive. You can figure that out pretty well. Um, there is a little bit of a mistake, but mostly that comes down to like in Moneyball, where uh, Brad Pitt, who uh, was playing Billy Bean in there, where he says, you know, if the guy's a good hitter, how come he doesn't hit good? A lot of it comes to that. Maybe a little bit overthinking on the evaluation standpoint. That's where I would push back against some people is to say, or the reverse, where they say the guy isn't a good quarterback or isn't a good receiver, but they have great production. It's like, well, if they're not a good quarterback, how come they play quarterback well? So that's a little bit of what I've given, but generally they do pretty well. The thing that bugs me is when they smash all of the different positions together into one overall big board sort of ranking, you really have to study to make that up. It's not intuitive enough. It's somewhat intuitive, like quarterback is more important than center. Tackle is more important than guard. Like that sort of stuff is pretty intuitive. But when you think about other things that are confusing, players who get the ball a lot, players who make a lot of big plays that become up in our mind, players who may be off the ball in a lot of different scenarios where they're not touching as much, but they have as much influence, maybe like safeties and cornerbacks in certain areas. Maybe we don't quite know what's going on. There's a lot more study that can be done in that. We don't have a lot of great statistics, but we can use on-off splits. We can use how much they're being paid by the NFL, things like that. So I get a little bit annoyed there. Now, when we go to draft grading, this is when it's like extreme annoyance because the people doing the draft grading primarily are people whose job it is to do the player evaluations. And that's pretty much the least valuable aspect of grading a draft coming out of the draft is to say, here are my pre-draft player evaluations. Now I'm going to plug them in to what we saw happen in the draft. And I'm going to say, this team was... Lower on all the players I liked, so they get a D. This team was high on all the players I liked, so therefore they get an A. 
or vice versa for players I didn't like. It's the least valuable thing. What is revealed to us through the NFL draft, what the NFL is telling us, especially when it comes to quote-unquote steals, so guys who fall down the board, the NFL is telling us a lot more than we're, than we're telling the NFL. The NFL is really grading our pre-draft evaluations and our grading and saying those aren't good, especially on players who fall in the draft. So when you have evaluators now coming back and saying, let's use Howie Roseman as an example for the Eagles, and I'll get into this, because he got a few steals, and he's that's the thing that the draft evaluators you know, focus on more than anything else. They're actually willing to give a pass a lot on guys who reach as long as people get their steals. Um, what the NFL is actually telling us on those steals, the more impactful, the more predictive thing that's going on is the NFL telling us you were wrong about those players. You were too high on those players. And I detail all of this information in this free primer I have where I say instant draft grades are mostly bad, but waiting years for results is even worse. Uh, a couple different concepts there. I hate the waiting for the results thing. But draft grades are bad because they're doing this. They're doing this with the steals. Now, we have research. We have empirical evidence that says, let's look back at guys, where they were drafted versus what consensus big boards said. And if they went way after where the consensus big boards said they should have gone, in other words, quote unquote, steals, the most important thing probably in most draft grades you're going to see this week, they have no positive value over their draft position historically they have not performed any better than their draft position the nfl was right we were wrong ever ever so slight maybe you can find a little something in there but mostly the nfl was right we were wrong when it comes to reaches there is a little bit of something there but it's very weak the correlation there there is a bit of the thing if a player is taken way before where the consensus big board says he should have gone they do underperform draft expectation. Not nearly as much as like, they're not like performing at the level of the consensus big board. They're much, much closer to their actual draft position, but there is like a material significant, statistically significant amount that they fall. So we can incorporate that somewhat into our draft grading. And that's what I do in my draft grades. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's closer to what they're saying. They're also giving us information. And, I explained this a little bit, but logically, why is it that steals are not a thing, but reaches could be a thing? Well, the logic goes that a reach, you only need one team to be wrong for a reach. If one team takes a player too early, it's not giving us any feedback, any information, any confirmation from any other team in the NFL that that player was about to go somewhere else. I mean, maybe it gives us a little bit that that team probably has better insight into what other teams are going to do than what we have but it's not great. Um, whereas if a player falls 10, 15, 20, 25 spots further than where the consensus big board, where we in the public thought they were going to go, you're not only getting you know, one team telling you you were wrong, you're getting two teams, three teams, four teams, five teams, 20 teams telling you your assessment was incorrect. What is the probability that these 20 teams are all incorrect? But the consensus big board was right. That's the way we're viewing a lot of this stuff now. And again, I'll go into Howie here and I, I'll pick on someone because, you know, I, I can't help but do that during this. And uh, just happens to be one of the first ones that I saw here. 
So I'll pick on uh, a Ben Solak a little bit here, as I like to do. So he has the six t- takeaways from the NFL draft, and only because I knew this was going to be the case for Howie on here. And I think the Eagles had a good draft. I'll say that right now. Everything else fine. But this is going to be your typical like NFL draft type of article that we're going to see. You, you peel down a little bit here. Point number one, the rich are getting richer in Philadelphia. And it says the award for the best draft goes to the Philadelphia Eagles. And the whole first paragraph here is all about their steals. This is arguably the top prospect in the entire field fell to them at nine and Jalen Carter. Uh, the steal of the first round may have been fellow Georgia defender Nolan Smith, who was projected as a top 10 pick, but landed with the Eagles at number 30. And then at the top of round four, they got one of the best remaining players overall, cornerback. I don't even know if I know how to pronounce this. Kelly? Keeley? <laughs> Help me out here. Sorry, I should really know that. Ringo of, wait, Georgia. So they got these three Georgia guys and they were all values. That is how like the draft piece and the winners and losers and the rationale all begins um, but as I've explained, the empirical evidence isn't there and the logic isn't there for that to actually be meaningful. But that's what we're going to be sorting through all this time. You know, it's good not to reach. So, like, you get credit for that if you're if you're Philadelphia. Like, you're not reaching on any of those players. But you're just assuming all these other teams are wrong. And that becomes the biggest thing. So what are the big things that we can actually quantify and figure out well one is trade value that's a really easy one you can take the surplus value you'd expect at a certain pick that you gave up versus those that you acquired what's the difference on average that's what you're going to get it works pretty well so that's there it could be a really really big amount for big trades but it's also a decently high amount for even trades where you're picking up an extra you know fourth round pick or something like that that's a that's a good value it's a much better value than you might expect second thing is positional value I built out all these different positional value surplus curves. You can apply those to all the different picks and say, you know, if we're taking a running back at 10th overall versus taking an edge rusher here on average is what we should expect that we lost in surplus value at that sort of pick quarterback. You gain a lot of surplus value even later on in the draft and so on. I'll talk about some, some like interesting wrinkles in that, that I think may need to be adjusted because of some small sample sizes as you're moving through the curves with all these different things. But generally it's something we can explicitly quantify. We can put it in dollars again, just like we did for the draft value. And we can combine them together for an overall grading. And then the last thing is this, this concept of reaching or steals. No, a very, very, very little influence on steals, a bigger influence on reach, but not that big. It's still the smallest part by far, this kind of like selection value that you're getting. It's sm- smaller than positional value. It's smaller than trade value. You can layer that in. And I do layer that in. And I look at the position that you took them at versus the position the big board said they should have been taken at. What's the difference in surplus value there? And then I apply a pretty generous discount factor. It's about a 65% based on historical evidence, 65% discount for reaches. And it's almost like a 90% discount for steals. Steals just really aren't much of a thing. Um, But I am applying that and then totaling that all up for all the different teams. And boom, that's how I get my draft grades. Now I'm calling them grades, but I'm really doing rankings. Um, I mean, the whole grades concept is kind of silly when everyone has a different grading scale. I mean, the NFL put out grading from someone at NFL.com And it was like 90% of the grades were all B or better. So it's like we have all these different scales for all these different teams too. (laughs) I think there was one C grade in the entire entire draft, a C plus. So 
I just have the rankings from one to 32. There is, you know, it's not perfect gradation there because I, but I do give the total number of value and then I give the ranking. There can be some big drops between the rankings. So it's not proportional. Like the fourth ranked team isn't as low compared to the third ranked team as the third ranked team to the second ranked team. But I think it's a better methodology than these letter grades that we're talking about here. So what I'll do is I'll go through the top five highest graded teams or highest value gain teams, the bottom five. And then I'll discuss some things around it where, hey, you can make mental adjustments off of this. These are not necessarily what would be my exact rankings, but it's good to have this con these concrete values for a frame of reference before you start just firing off intuition-based takes on what can happen here. And actually, I have a good analogy on this whole draft thing. So yeah, I get annoyed by people and their draft, but at the same point in time, I kind of know like there's a different purpose for different things. And this comes with a lot of media analysis. Now, what I'm trying to provide here to the greatest degree I feel like I can is value in understanding like how things actually are. Try to throw some entertainment value in there, make a joke here or there, um, you know, have a little bit of a framing on a tweet or something like that to gain a little bit more attention and engagement. Sure. I don't fully skew away from those things. I'm not a robot. I'm not a uh, knowledge sentience in, uh, you know, seeking robot. That's just, just, just pumping out exactly that sort of stuff. I try to liven it up a little bit, but what most people are doing, cause they're incentivized to do it. And again, they're not even really studying how to make good predictions is they're, they're mostly in the entertainment game. I think we know for someone like, Stephen A. Smith, he's almost 100% in the entertainment game. Although he probably thinks his opinions are pretty good, <laughs> pretty pretty predictive. But, you know, he's mostly in that area. And that's kind of where most of the people are. Well, a lot of all these evaluation-based draft grades that you're going to see come out, it's entertainment more than accuracy, more than having an accurate prediction. Like, even if you tell these people, if I sent them my piece and I said, hey, this is what's actually predictive. Steals are not predictive they're still going to write up a draft grading piece about steals and draft evaluation because that's fun. It's, it's entertainment. It's like professional wrestling versus wrestling. You know, a lot of people in the media, when they're coming up with this, they're, they're kind of, they're, they're working between the two. They're doing some professional wrestling with their predictions and how they're doing there and their draft grading and other stuff. And, you know, time to time they're doing some real wrestling, which is not as entertaining but it's giving you a better idea of like who is actually a better wrestler than professional wrestling is. Um, but most people want professional wrestling. They want to be entertained. They want the highs and the lows. You're not going to get the highs and the lows as much, as much with me. Um, and they want to know like, will this prospect be good or not? Because that is the most impactful thing. The problem is we can't predict it. It's our, we have the least ability to predict something, but it's the most impactful between those two, I make the analogy here to saying, you know, the lottery number you pick when you play the lottery is the most impactful decision you're going to make when you play the lottery. Now, do we give credit to someone for good lottery number picking? Or let's say you're playing roulette. The most impactful thing you're going to do is decide which number you want to put your money down. Do you get credit for that? No, because we understand that it's inherently random. Well, these draft picks are very, very much inherently random too, not because people aren't good at evaluation, but because everyone is so good at evaluation. So much effort is put into that. So much more effort is put into that than is put into understanding positional value, understanding trade value, understanding the biases that come to that. 
Um, and because of that, it makes it difficult to predict what's going to happen. It can be impactful, but not predictive. I know that the best grades that I have here are not going to correlate to what the results of this draft is going to be in a year or two. But if we were going to go over this exercise, I'm hoping a thousand times for a thousand different drafts, that mine would be the most accurate into how many wins these teams are going to gain going forward versus drafts that are looking at guessing on players and player evaluation who has done the best job. Professional wrestling versus real wrestling. Professional, a lot of professional wrestling going on in the media when it comes to draft grades right now. Okay, let's get into the top uh, draft grades for, well, draft rankings, okay? Draft rankings for, for what we've seen so far. We'll start with the, actually, let's just go, let's, let's go top. I was going to do AFC, NFC like I did in the pieces, but let's just go straight to the top. I will grab my, uh, I'll go to R in here where I have all the data sorted. And we'll start with, should start with worst first? Maybe I'll start with worst first. So the worst total uh, value lost here, and this is, I'm going to have a lot to talk around this because I don't know, I don't think this is necessarily the case. And I have, I have things to say here, is uh, the Carolina Panthers. So the Carolina Panthers, I have a loss of about 46.6 million in surplus value. So again, that looks out over the next, over the first four years of any of these picks that we're talking about, how much they had lost or gained in trades, positional surplus, and surplus that you would gain by not reaching, basically, on, on players. So this all comes down to trade. So they have about a $65 million loss on the trade that they did with the Chicago Bears. In that trade, I value DJ Moore at around a second round pick. He's making $20 million a year for the next three years. You know, if you figure what surplus value does he have on that, I'm coming out to around a second round pick. I know the Bears said they had it as their, like a first round pick. I'm going second round pick. <laughs> I'll just say that for that one. So that's what it accounts in here. Now they get a positional surplus bump of an additional 20 million up, mostly because they took Bryce Young with that pick. And you'd say, duh, of course they took Bryce Young with that pick. But, you know, we'll get to the Texans later when it comes to trading up and then not taking quarterback there. So that's part of it. So that mitigates it a bit. The trade surplus, they don't really have anything going on with their reaches or uh, or steals. Um, they, they didn't really reach, no, no real effect there. Now for this, I will say that I think this undervalues the Panthers draft a bit here or this trade up a bit here. And on the flip side, I think it's going to overvalue it for the uh, the Bears. And that's because it is this quarterback pick. So I'm estimating the surplus value you can expect overpaying this pick around $10 million a year for the next four years, what sort of value you're going to get over that amount. But if we're thinking about range of outcomes, yeah, that might be your median outcome. And then going forward, you probably have like some more value that you're going to get on a second or third contract, even in your median value. But it's really about having a chance at that outsized amount. And for most positions outside a quarterback, Getting that elite outcome does not bring the best surplus value on a second contract because the amount just goes up. You know, when we have receiver, edge, tackle contracts now getting up around $30 million a year, hitting bigger in the draft isn't going to like proportionally lead to a better deal on your second contract. Whereas with quarterbacks, all these guys are like making the same amounts at the top, right? Jalen hurts got a contract and then um, 
Kyler got a contract and Jalen Hurts got a better contract, you know, a year later. And then Lamar got a slightly better contract. And then Joe Burrow is going to get a slightly better contract. And then Justin Herbert's going to get a slightly better contract. There isn't as much differentiation there. So if you really hit one of the super, super outsized outcomes, you're going to be getting surplus value through the roof way more than this median estimate on the, on the rookie contract. And you're going to get it on the second contract and you may get it on the third contract. So you're getting a lot there. And you probably have a trade piece if it comes down to it eventually. I mean, Jesus, the the Packers just traded 39-year-old Aaron Rodgers making $60 million next year for the equivalent of an early first-round pick. So like, because of that upside, which isn't fully incorporated in this number, I think Carolina is more like middle of the pack as opposed to being last. And I also think for the Bears, because, and I wrote a whole piece about how they should consider taking a, a quarterback at number one, I think the risk in them in trading out of this is higher than it would be for like the risk of the Cardinals trading out of number three. And we should probably lower their amount somewhat, Uh, but I'll get to that with the Cardinals. So, but anyway, just straightly straight by the numbers, Carolina is ranked last, but I would really put them more in the middle when we make some adjustments on that. I just don't have like very precise adjustments to do. So I don't want to do that. Um, But I, I mentioned it in the write up and I'll talk, talk it out here. I think that's the best way to do it. Okay. This one I'm more confident in. So the second worst draft here are the Houston Texans. They lose, believe it or not, more in trades in this one. Um, $77.6 million in trades with that trade up from 12 to 3. And this even might undervalue that amount. Like it might even be a higher loss because of the fact that I'm estimating they're going to be a mid-first round pick next year. When we talk about the future first and third that are part of this package, where in reality... This could be a top fiver. This could be a huge pick, hugely valuable pick for the Cardinals they're getting here. Uh, they get a bigger, though, positional surplus at around $40 million because they got credit for taking C.J. Stroud, and they do get some credit for taking at least an edge rusher there with Will Anderson. But any of this talk about we should view it like they're trading for Stroud and everything else, I mean, whatever. All that is really built into my numbers here, and it isn't going to make a huge difference. Uh, they're still bad. They still lose about $40 million, and, the, and reaching barely anything there. So Carolina and Houston down near the bottom. Now, the third worst team just by the numbers might actually be the worst team. If you think about proportionally, like how much value they had to lose because they had less value going into it without a first or second round pick. And that is the San Francisco 49ers. So the 49ers argument to be made, they're the worst. They had the worst draft, even versus Houston, who, you know, made an insane trade up to go and get a player. And another thing about Houston trading up to get Will Anderson at three, like Will Anderson at three is probably has less surplus value than whatever edge rusher you're going to take at 12. So it's like you're paying for the right to get less surplus value. Absolutely insane. But anyway, going back to San Francisco, the reason that their draft looks so bad on here, um, again, not having a pick in the first two rounds is they traded up to take a safety, which gets dinged a little bit. In uh, they moved up from 102 to 87, so they lost some value there. They lost 4.1 million dollars in surplus value trading out of that. Uh, they took a kicker with their second pick, which is about a nine million dollar loss versus in positional value. And then after that, you know, this doesn't hurt them in the profile. The fact that they took Cameron 
Is it Latou or Latou? I don't even know. The Alabama tight end there, but he's he's a slower prospect. He wasn't a tackle avoider, tackle breaker, uh, elusive type of guy. And that kind of goes against my tight end research. So by the numbers, it doesn't hate the pick, but I'm not really in love with that pick either. Uh, so for all those reasons and not even ha- – I mean, they had a lot of picks going into this because they get all these comp picks, but they didn't even have that many high-value picks, and they still managed to lose $22 million in surplus value somehow on this. Most of it positionally, almost $15 million in positional surplus value. And let's see. Um, that was the third worst in surplus value that you could lose by position. Okay. Um, next is the Washington Commanders, 17 million lost from positional value. So that'll be the biggest thing here. Now, this is one I'm going to have to think about a little bit more going forward if I need to adjust things. It's interesting because cornerback, actually for them, it doesn't affect them that much. But there's this weird thing with cornerback where it looks good in the first round because we've had Jalen Ramsey, Denzel Ward, um, Javarius White, uh, other guys who are first-round guys signed pretty big cornerback contracts. Jair Alexander, did I already mention him? Um, but then second round has kind of been a, a wasteland. So it's not for them, actually, now that I'm looking at it. But for some others, we'll see second-round cornerbacks get re- get rated incorrectly uh, or low. But they had two selections. They had a center in the mid-second and early fourth round. No, actually, sorry, center in the fourth round and Braden Daniels, safety in the second round. So they got hit on those two pretty badly for, for the commanders. Um, again, not really reflection of the picks they made, but, they, but, but the, the hit that they had on there. And then the last of the bottom five is the Atlanta Falcons. And again, we're talking, this is mostly a positional value thing with Bijan, negative 12 million in positional value. They also got hit on trade. Uh, 8.6 million. And let me look to see what that trade was. I don't know if I even remember off the top of my head what their trade was. Okay. Yeah. They lost nearly 9 million moving up from 44 to 38 and they gave up an early fourth round pick in the process. Was that a good play or not? I'm not sure. Let's see. Who did they take with that? Cause I don't think it was a positional value problem. They moved up to 38 and they took Matthew Bergeron a tackle. So that's, you know, that's not a bad pick in that area necessarily you'd really like to get tackle in the first round if you can but not not a fan of the trade-up right there and that's what they lost there so that's the bottom five let's go up to the top five and then we'll get back and talk about some other interesting ones that are not in either the top or bottom five so number five green bay packers packers had a really really good draft uh 11.7 million in positional value they gained 8.5 million in trade value and they only lost $1.4 million when it came to reaching for players. Uh, really solid draft here. I could have put the whole Aaron Rodgers thing in there, and that would have given them like a massive trade value gain because they gave up a player who at $60 million a year probably isn't worth that much um, for this. But I, d- I decided not to here. Uh, they get a nice bump for Tucker Craft, a tight end that they took. In the third round, um, that's right in the area where you want to take those guys, and that's where they got a good value there for uh, positionally. And, you know, again, the, the the trading that they did here, let's see exactly what trading they had. Um, 
they had they traded out of 45 and gained 48 and 159 and then they traded out of 48 so the 48 that they just got and then they got 50 so they moved down two spots and they got 179 so it's like they only moved down three spots once and then two spots another time and then ended up picking up a couple of day three picks which you know it's like free picks almost if you have three or four players you have rated around the same amount and most teams should have like three, four, five players graded around the same amount considering positional value around the 45th or 48th pick in the draft. And maybe they had even more than that. Those players don't get taken. Hey, get some free picks, get some free darts that you can throw later on. Uh, they can be huge, huge, huge successes. And on average, it's a lot more than what you may expect it would be. Number four. The Tennessee Titans, surprising the Tennessee Titans because they lost some on the trade up for Will Levis, but they gain a ton in positional value for for Will Levis. It might overstate a little bit what you're going to gain. Again, you need to get one of those elite sort of outcomes, but they the trade down wasn't that bad. The trade up wasn't that bad for them because of the way they packaged things together. So it was like a couple of pick swaps and then they gave up an extra, let me see, third round pick. So a future third round pick. So they basically swapped 41 for 33. In order to do that, then they then they swapped their own 72 for 81. So they moved down there and then they gave up a future third round pick, which I discount by about 20%. So they lost a little bit there, but it's actually pretty good. That's a, that was a pretty good way of structuring this. Pick swaps. Always go for the pick swaps, guys, rather than just straight giving up a pick if you can. Because teams, like, there's almost like a trade-up already baked into that pick swap. And that's why it ends up paying off a little bit better. So that was there for them. And then the Levis pick just gives them a ton of potential surplus value there. We'll see how good Levis or not. Of course, as I've said earlier, the NFL told us a lot about Will Levis. Then we also heard from Jim Irsay afterwards that maybe they would have taken Levis at four. I don't think Ballard would have let them do that. Um, but they were so desperate for a quarterback. Maybe they would have taken Levis at four if someone traded in to the three with the Cardinals and then took um, Anthony Richardson. Number three, the aforementioned Colts coming in. Positive. This is a big jump here. Positive 42 million gained here. They gained about 4 million by not reaching um, getting good selection value. They gained 23 million in positional surplus. A lot of that is Anthony Richardson and that fourth pick. But then it's also, let me look it up to make sure. There's also some other good picks because they went Richardson. They went a cornerback after that, which was fine, although it's a little bit negative. But again, I question that a little bit. Uh, wide receiver Josh Downs after that, that's a good one. A tackle, that's a good one. Edge rusher, which was uh, uh, Aboware, who is a um, who is seen as being a big, big steal. Although again, that doesn't that doesn't come into it much. Uh, they got a safety, but they got him later. They got a running back, but they got that very much later. Uh, and they just had a bunch of picks in there, so pretty good on the positional value. And then when it comes to trading, you could almost like give them credit for not trading up into three. It's dangerous though. But it was good to see that Ballard still seemed to have control of the reins and was able to say, hey, we're not going to just give away picks to go up into three when we didn't need to do it. That could have been costly for them. That could have been like the 49ers type of deal with the Bears years back where they gave up 
you know, three day three picks to move up one spot. We saw we saw Howie Roseman give up a, a fourth round pick to move up one spot here. So they didn't do that. They traded out of 35. They got 38 back and then they got 141 in that. Then they traded out of 38. So they did the double trade back just like the Packers. They got 44 and 110 out of that. And then they traded out of 141 and got 158 and 211 out of that. So three trade backs there, which means that in trade surplus, they didn't have one of these major, major deals, right? They didn't have a first round pick to trade away like the Bears or the third, I mean, first round, number one overall pick like the Bears to trade away or a number three overall pick. But then they still come in fifth in trade value earned because they only traded down, didn't trade back up. We're willing to do that multiple times. Uh, really good draft for Ballard. Ballard is back. You know, Ballard's, oh, I've always been a Ballard stan, a Ballard apologist. I know he didn't get the quarterback thing right, but I think, you know, some of it was bad luck. Some of it was listening to Frank Reich when it came to Carson Wentz. Some of it was never having that early pick. Um, he had the early pick. He used it. He got his guy, who was also my quarterback, two of the class, Anthony Richardson. And he didn't do anything crazy to do it. Put himself in good position going forward. Excellent um, job by Ballard there. And if you said he had the best draft of anyone, I think that's a very good proposition, honestly, because the top two teams in value added were teams that just got a ton of surplus value from those trades. Chicago and then Arizona. Now, Arizona's above Chicago because of positional surplus more than anything else. Chicago had more from the trade but they did not have as much from positionally. And that is because the bears lose a bit of value on, even though it's a running back selection in the fourth round, you still get dinged for it here because you can find randomly find some higher end players there. And they're one of the teams that had this random thing of getting dinged for a quarterback at the end, a corner, sorry, corner back at the end of the second round, which just traditionally has not been successful, but probably over overstates that there. Um, and the Bears also, like, again, I think their trade out of number one is risky. They, you know, anytime you have the number one overall pick, you have to consider drafting a quarterback, no matter what your situation is, unless you have a franchise quarterback who was injured the entire season. And that's how you ended up number one. That's the only circumstance. I was going to say, maybe the other circumstance would be is if you have a rookie, like the Jags were close. No, the, the Bengals were close to having the number one pick. In back-to-back years, I guess the Jags had back-to-back pick in number one years as a rookie. Um, But then again, the Tennessee Titans had back-to-back number one picks with uh, Marcus Mariota. And, you know, I guess it would have been golf that they were taking there. So it wouldn't have been a great upgrade. But, you know, golf's probably better than than Mariota. So when you have when you end up number one overall pick on a bad roster, don't get me wrong, but number one overall pick with a quarterback who's in his second year, who basically plays, you know, the entire season minus a game, you got to at least think about it. And then the Cardinals are up at number one uh, because they have this huge surplus value on the trade. And then they didn't do anything bad positionally on top of that. Uh, Although trading back up really weakened, they could have been even higher. They could have been like head and shoulders above everyone else. If they didn't trade back from 12 up to go get the, the tackle that they wanted in Paris Johnson. Okay. So those are the top, those are the bottom. Other teams that we can talk about here. Let's talk about the Eagles because they're going to be the main team here. I mean, they're fine by my numbers. They're ninth, right? Uh, they even get almost $5 million in 
value as far as not reaching. So they get a very high number there. So I'm giving them credit for what everyone else is getting credit for. They're fourth by that number for me because they're not reaching. So I am giving them credit there. I'm just not going to make them the number one team based upon something that has no very little predictive value. Uh, they also lost a little bit in trades. I mentioned the trade up that they made from nine, from 10 to nine. So they lose a couple of million there, but they did well positionally. So I'll give them the positional credit. I'll give them the credit on not reaching and getting some valuable players there, but that's just not enough. It's just not enough to counteract other teams that were getting even more positional surplus, even more trade surplus. Not, not quite enough. Um, not going to make the big difference getting those values there. So Philly comes in at nine. Um, if you want to say they're top five draft, I think that's fine. Uh, Pittsburgh comes in at eight. I think they had a really good draft positional wise. They lost a little bit in trade. So that was like a unnecessary downside, but they're good in there. And another one I want to highlight that's not going to get as much hype because it's really a trade value gain. And again, trade value gets the least amount of hype in these discussions, but it can have the biggest impact on the numbers is the Jacksonville Jaguars. 20 million gained in trade value. They were sixth overall in value gain. So right outside of that top five, um, really nice job there gaining value. I mean, geez, they moved down so little and yet were able to gain so many darts here. They went down from 24 to 25 and got two picks out of it. Two picks. I mean, late picks, you know, fifth round and seventh round picks, but whatever. Two picks from going down from 24 to 25. They went down from 25 to 27 and gained a fourth round pick. They went down from 56 to 61, gained a fourth round pick. And then they went down from 127 all the way down to 227. So that's that's a huge drop. But then they got a future fourth round pick for that. Nice. I mean, you'd be surprised how often these fourth round picks can end up you know, you're just giving yourself darts to potentially hit one of those elite player values, which is as massive surplus value on rookie contracts that cost absolutely nothing in that range. So very active, very active night for the Jags. They reached a little bit on some players, and I think that's what brought them down. Let me look to see. Who did they reach in? It brought them down a little bit. Um, okay. Brenton Strange was at pick 61, tight end. He was 131 on the board. I don't hate that one that much. Uh, they lost a little bit on the Tank Bigsby pick at 88, the running back pick at 88. Not great. Then linebacker Ventrill Miller was 231 on the big board. They took him 121. I mean, these aren't huge deals, but th- they got dinged on some of that other stuff. But I just want to point out that Jacksonville was active and just just like picking up free money basically in this draft, which is one of the most important things to do. One other team that I'll highlight before I get over, if anyone has any questions, again, Q&A in the comments. If you have questions, I'll go ahead and answer them at the end of this. Otherwise, I'll wrap up. Uh, Another team that I want to highlight is the Detroit Lions. So the Lions had a, you know, like the yes, yes, no sort of thing, or the no, no, yes, when you're watching a sporting event. We had the yes, yes, no here for the Lions because the sixth pick came around. They're on the clock. They trade down. And we're like, boom, there you go. Good job, Lions. Don't, you know, take that free, take that free draft capital. Don't mess anything up here. You don't have to draft, you know, one of the edge rushers that people are going to be flying for 
or one of the tackles when there are three or four good tackles here that no one really knows who is better as part of this. You get the, you know, the 12th pick in the, in the NFL draft, you move back from 12 to six, you lose 81, but then you gain 34. So you gain an early second round pick, which is pretty money. And then you also gain a very, very late round pick there. Um, then they trade up some other times and trade down some other times. So, you know, net net, they did a really good job for that part of it, for the trade part of it. 18 million gained in that fourth best only the Jaguars were better outside of those two teams that traded just massive amounts. The problem is 18 million gained in trading 5.4 million lost reaching and then 22 million lost on positional value. And that 22 million includes like a positive 10 million for taking Hendon Hooker. So if you take Hooker out of the equation, it's like 30-something million lost in positional value. No other team is higher than 17. So again, we can't just say excluding Hendon Hooker. And But if you did <laughs> exclude Hendon Hooker, it would be almost twice as bad as any other team as far as the positional value lost. Just a massive, massive loss in positional value. Just self-inflicted wound. I mean, we all know the... Jameer Gibbs story by now, it sounded like they were into um, Devin Witherspoon the minute Witherspoon went. Well, I think they liked Anderson, Witherspoon, and maybe that was it. So when Witherspoon went at five, they were able to trade back, but they didn't really have anyone that much higher than Jameer Gibbs. So they ended up taking him at 12, even though, yeah, that's like a $10 million loss. And actually the linebacker pick, Jack Campbell at 18 is even worse. It's like a $15, $16 million loss for for positional value. And Campbell, when it comes to uh, reaching or not, Campbell, again, 18th pick in the NFL draft, 42nd on the big board. Gibbs, 12th pick in the NFL draft, 21 on the big board. Uh, Sam Laporta wasn't a bad pick. Brian Branch is fine. I know that everyone thinks they got a huge steal on him at 45 because he was 15 on the big board. But again, we don't care about steals. Uh, Hendon Hooker is fine. Good pick. They got some good positional value back on that. And then everything else is like, who cares? Not that big of a deal. So just really, really bad on the positional value stuff here for Detroit. They had a great opportunity here. Having gained those picks from the Rams, gotten so high up in the draft, could have really leveraged the trade capital that they used. I mean, it was a draft where they had a ton of draft capital going into it. They gained another almost $20 million by trading. And then somehow they come out of the draft being about a negative nine, 10 million by my numbers. So just, it just, what could have been for them more than it being like a massive negative. Again, all these teams are really going to be defined more than anything by how good the players are. They drafted, but it's like giving yourself a little bit better odds, giving yourself a weighted coin when you're flipping coins on these guys, giving yourself a little bit better proportions for, for being able to hit and the lions, uh, you know, kind of blew it on that one. All right. Let me look at the, um, at the questions here, see if there's anything that, um, okay. Well, this, this, this was probably too much for me, honestly, insights on what makes a good team, getting good players, making it work and constructing a team with scheme needs roles in mind. I mean, I'll get into more of that during the summer. I don't want to go too much into like a whole macro, uh, idea of everything that I would want, in a team because you know you could go on, I could I could go on ranting for another hour and trust me you guys don't really want that 
Um, okay, Trey Williams here. I understand the Bills grade will be worsened because of a round one tight end selection. However, is this a reliable measurement given Kincaid's role? I don't know about Kincaid's role, but I do think tight ends in the first round because of the small sample of what we have here, which we're looking at guys like Eric Ebron who haven't done that well. Uh, I guess Kyle Pitts is not part of it, but he hasn't done so well so far. Who are the first round tight ends? I guess Hawkinson, he hasn't gotten really to his second contract yet. Um, Njoku, OJ Howard, Evan Ingram. Njoku, I guess, would be like a semi-hit. He's doing okay. Um, but they still don't earn that much money, tight ends. Also, even at the high end, the elite end, they don't earn that much money. So they're not going to look as good from a positional value standpoint if you're using that as the metric that, I, like I am, for how much the NFL is valuing these players, an equivalent free agent. So... Yeah, I'm kind of uh, ambivalent about tight ends. I mentioned this a bit. I think if they hit, they can hit really, really big, but there's just so few of them that really hit that elite box. But if they do hit, they're one of the few, they're probably second to quarterback as far as how much surplus value you can get on a second contract because those contracts are um, are so small. Oh, Doug Analytics. I appreciate this one. You like the line, the NFL is grading our pre-draft evaluations. Yeah, that's what they're doing. I like that too. They grade us. They give us all Fs. No, <laughs> they don't give us all Fs, but they're 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 not a fan of our grades on Nolan Smith. You get an F, analyst, for your Nolan Smith grade. Uh, forget it being a, a a great steal for the for the Eagles. Okay. Um, oh, one other thing about the the steals. Maybe I'll mention really quickly. There's also like non-public information that we don't have, and that non-public information is very much skewed towards moving players down the board. It's like box checking sort of stuff where they're not getting the box checked. Medicals. You don't get a lot of upside through your medicals, right? There's not going to be a lot of positive upside. There's not going to be a lot of reasons to reach on a player because you've got great medicals for them. But there are lots of reasons to let a player fall because you've got poor medicals on them. We don't know all of that necessarily. Some stuff gets leaked out. Some stuff we don't know. Uh, Number two, references, character, talking to coaches, things like that. Yeah, some players may get moved up slightly, but I don't think anyone who has a tape of a third rounder is getting moved up to the first round because of all the effusive praise that they're getting. Most of the coaches and references are probably trying to do the player a solid and give them a good recommendation. But if you get a bad recommendation, you get coaches killing guys, supposedly Jalen Carter, that's that's the word out there, that the coaches were you know, not too nice about him. Whether it's predictive or not, I don't know because I don't have the data to study going backwards, but again, very much skewed towards the negative. One of the reasons a guy will fall and it's just information we don't know about Uh, interviews, things like that. Again, skewed towards the negative, skewed towards the negative. When they come in for a top 30 visit, skewed towards the negative. If they're messing something up that they're not supposed to be messing up Um, S2 testing or cognitive testing box checking. If you're good, if you're bad, it's a negative that we don't really know about. You know, everyone's talking about how great this S2 testing was. Brock Purdy had the best score. Hey, Brock Purdy was Mr. Irrelevant, okay? So it didn't move him up that much. But maybe it has some effect on moving people down. Now, CJ Stratton ended up going two, so it didn't happen. But it's possible that that sort of stuff could have a, a negative effect on guys going down. All right, uh, another question here from Doug. Q&A, uh, are you discounting the value of future picks in trade analysis? And would you consider adjusting future picks for Vegas win totals or any other predictive model? Uh, yeah, so I'm discounting them 20%. You, 
it's kind of, uh, I have to admit, I'm kind of pulling it out of my butt here, but the, the market discounts him even more than that, obviously. And I don't think no discount is worth it because there is like a time value of money type of thing here. Maybe it's only 10%. You know, if, if you wanted to do no discount, I guess you could do that, but I'm discounting 20%. Um, predictive for next year. I just think there's too much noise in it. So I'm willing just to put them in the mid middle of the round. And when it comes to injuries and things like that, that's what we don't know. I mean, we've seen a number of teams who on the downside, Houston, Texas traded away their first round pick to get Deshaun Watson. They also trade around a second round pick to get off of Brock Osweiler's contract. Boom. Deshaun Watson gets injured. They're in the top five, the Rams, they gave away picks. Now they're giving away a pick in the top five. The, um, the Broncos, they gave away picks. Now they're giving picks that are right near the top. Um, who else am I missing here? The, um, the Rams, the lions, the Rams, the lions, the other one. Is there anyone else who was way up there from this year or it's happened in the past? I'm sure it has, but anyway, those sorts of things happen very, very often. I think there's just a ton of fragility, ton of fragility a year in advance to try to figure that out. I'm fine putting in the middle and just acknowledging the fact that like the Texans could be the worst team in the NFL and they could be giving up the number one pick next year in a Caleb Williams draft. It's possible. Um, is there any data-driven justification to spend day three picks on punters and kickers? I don't know. You know, it's such a low sample type of thing. Most punters and kickers are also, if they are drafted, are taken in the seventh round, maybe the sixth round. Shout out to Sebastian Janikowski, first round pick for the um for the I don't know if it's the Oakland Raiders or the LA Raiders at that point in time, but I think it was the Oakland Raiders. So it's weird, though, when I look through guys who were drafted, at least for kickers, they do end up sticking in the NFL. But is it any better than just getting a guy in free agency? I don't think so. I mean, I just estimated that a kicker that you draft is worth like a little bit more than what your street kicker that you could you could go and get off of the street. So I think I forget what I did, like one and a half million a year or two million a year. That's my best guess. Um, So I would just say no. There's probably no justification. There's just so much uncertainty that why do it? That's what I would say. Um, maybe you could back into a justification. I, I, I would say more so for punter, probably even than for kicker. Uh, maybe they have a lot of data on these guys and they have data on like an, the exact location of the kicks and where they go through, things like that. But if you look at like the the Robert Aguayo pick, or Roberto Aguayo, excuse me, uh, pick from the Bucks, like that was just a bad pick even by the data that we had. The guy made all of his kicks in college, but he didn't even kick long kicks, which is really going to be the differentiating factor for a kicker. So, yeah, I think there's just too much emphasis on box checking, saying like, okay, don't have to worry about kickers anymore. We drafted this kicker, and then, you know, they probably don't even end up on the team. But who knows? Belichick is mad genius when it comes to special teams, so maybe he's figured that out. Um, Another one here. Is there any data-driven justification? Oh, sorry, I already got that one. Um. Evan Ingram. Okay, thank you for letting that out. Q&A. The fantasy world is apoplectic. Good word there. Over Charbonnet in the second to Seattle. What are your thoughts? Walker actually had bad efficiency stats, possibly because he was taking on too much work. I guess my thoughts is we're talking about, that was another great Pete Carroll. The yes, yes, no moment. <laughs> you, were, you were happy about, you're like, okay, he took a quarterback early. We like it. Okay, who did he take? Who did they take of the second pick? God, I already forgot, but it was good, right? Um, my brain is fried. Apologies here. 
but it was like a not Pete Carroll kick. Oh, yeah, they took Jackson Smith and Jigba, of course, at 20. So you would have seen him being a value, even though steel don't exist, people, um, at that pick. They took an edge rusher, Derek Hall, at the beginning of the – the third round, a little bit of a reach, but whatever, it's fine. It's an edge rusher. Then, bam, couldn't 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 just take all that great draft capital they had and spend it wisely. Um, they had to hit you upside the head, Seahawks fan. At fifty-two, too, it's not even the end of the <laughs> the second round. Like this is earlier than in some universes where maybe like a Jameer Gibbs type of prospect would go in some drafts. They take Zach uh, Charbonnet, Charbonnet. I don't even know. Um, I should probably know that thing too. So I think it's more just, just the Seahawks being Seahawks and doing their Seahawk thing. than it's really a indictment of Walker. They seem to like the idea of getting a cheap, fresh, straight out of college running back, even if it's going to be a backup for them as being something that's worth it. That's just their thing. Um, I think Walker is still probably pretty safe, but they're, you know, they'll split it up some there. Um, Okay. Don't see anything else here. Don't see anything else here for, for the questions. I appreciate everyone's questions and tuning into this. I'm going to talk to Hayden Winks from underdog in a couple of days, sorting through everything. Of course, there'll be a fantasy skew to that. Probably take a few shots at Josh Norris, his colleague while we're in there and the whole draft, uh, mock draft industrial complex. We'll talk there. I'm also going to be on Pat Corain's pod. Pat was on my pod last week. I'll be on his pod. The, uh, legendary upside pod this week. And unfortunately I couldn't get it for next week. I wanted to do like the front office rankings next week along with Ben Baldwin, but instead it's going to be in two weeks. We're going to do our front office rankings. I was really, really down on almost every front office. And then we had guys like Ballard really show up in this draft, which made me feel good. So I'll have some, like I'll actually be able to figure out who my top five front offices are rather than going through two or three and then being like, I don't know. I don't know who else I like. I think we're going to be better in that department uh, going forward. Um, well, all we got here, all we got Chiefs. You want some Chiefs talk? But as usual, when it comes to last, you don't have. Okay, you want to talk about Chiefs? I'm going to question you about the Chiefs. I'll talk about them. I mean, the problem is they don't really do anything that interesting in these drafts. I mean, hitting on picks is interesting, I guess. So their picks here, I mean, it's fine. I like edge. I like wide receiver. At 31 and 55, that's fine. Rasheed Rice, I'm not quite sure about the fact that the quote is that, I mean, it was a reach according to the numbers, but um, the quote was that Patrick Mahomes was throwing with him and then wanted him to be picked. Um, Then again, Patrick Mahomes, didn't he kind of like GM that CEH pick (laughs) according to Brett Beach? Maybe Brett Beach is trying to like throw responsibility onto Mahomes, but I think Mahomes like at $45 million a year, here, here, here's my here's my take. Mahomes at $45 million a year and the value you're getting there. To keep him happy, maybe it's worth him having the ability to burn one pick a year on a player who's, who's taken too early. It isn't very good. So hopefully that's not Rasheed Rice. I would have gone some other uh, areas there, but it could be. Uh, but it's fine. You know, they don't trade. They don't trade back, really. Have they in the past? I'm, I'm not even sure. Maybe you can help me out. But if you look in this draft, they, they traded up to 55 from 63 and then did a little pick swapish action there uh, they traded up from 95 to 92 and they traded up from 134 to 119 you know they're just kind of they're they believe they believe their evaluation and maybe they're right they had they lost a six month value only 8.1 million so not that bad 
Um, they believe their evaluation, but they kind of just had a meh draft. You know, minus 4.2 million positional, minus 8.1 million trade, minus 3.2 million reaching, a total of 15.5. But if you put that in total, yeah, it would be the eighth worst. And the Bills are also bad in this draft, too. Um, mostly positionally. But again, I think the Bills are another important team that people probably want to discuss. But again, uh, let's see if this is a model issue for mine. Let's see if this is one of these cornerback ones. Is this a cornerback one? Um, no, it's not. It's tight end in the first round. So that's probably what, that's why they got hit. So maybe Dalton Kincaid's pretty good. I guess I'm just not that high on Kincaid. Like my whole tight end strategy is you have a bunch in this class who are good, who look like they could be good. Don't take the first one. Probably don't take the second one. Probably don't take the third one. You know, if you're still getting good guys who I think who have like reasonable chances in the late second, third round, take them then. Uh, they didn't do that. They traded up a little bit. They got Kincaid injury stuff with Kincaid. I'm a little worried about that with tight end, which is a very injury prone position, but you know, tight end guard off ball linebacker, the, you know, whatever guards, not that bad actually into your offensive lineman. Once you get out of the, the first like 50 picks are actually not that bad. So fine, fine draft for those, for those big teams there. Um, anyway, Okay, we got another one. Okay, I'll do one more here. One more here, and then I, I, I got to make this the last one for anyone to come out. So Q&A, what do you think there is there data around taking players who were considered highly and then fell due to a recent injury? I don't know. That's a great question. And again, it's one of those things where we got to get the data. I got to get the data on exactly like the severity of the injury, what they're getting from the medical testing, all that sort of stuff. I would say generally, though, and I know this is like a Ravens thing recently, they took um, – the name escapes me now. They took the Michigan edge rusher last year who just didn't play. They've taken another guy, I think it's a tackle this year, who's going to miss most of the season because of injuries. And for the guys that I do have studied a lot in the past, um, skill position players, specifically wide receiver, I don't know. Really bad track record on guys who miss stuff earlier in their career and then come back. Could be noise. We don't have a lot of data on that, whether it's um, Kevin White missed a bunch of time as a rookie. John Ross, I think, missed a bunch of time. Um, I'm trying to think of other guys who are missing time early in their careers for wide receivers who were drafted early. Um, Justin Blackman was like, you know, failing every uh, uh, drug and alcohol test. Um, there hasn't been a great history for that, but again, it's small sample. So like theoretically you shouldn't matter that much, but I think for non quarterbacks, like you're getting most of your value on the rookie contract for these guys. That's where you're getting most of the value. That's where you're getting a lot of signal too in their rookie season. Like, do we need someone else in this position or not? So I don't know. I would just lean heavily towards not drafting guys who are injured recently are going to miss time, but I I could be wrong. Again, I don't have the data to back that up. That's my very uh, unconfident opinion on the subject matter. All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Be back at you on Wednesday. Subscribe, Substack, subscribe to the pod, subscribe to the YouTube. And uh, until then, I'll be talking at you later. Thanks, everybody.